Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories number 20, The Aftermath. The last story was interesting. Uh, the reaction and the feedback is interesting. The topic is vitally important for so many things. And some insight to what I do here. There's many times where I'm balancing with content between gardening, which is really my passion, versus flower farming and cut flowers and that world. And now having Natchez Glen be a flower farm, finger quotes, it's really important to me. And it's really important that we continue to shine some lights on a lot of these topics. And first on my agenda was the international flower growing and many of the issues there. But I want to take a minute to clarify because this is a a subject, like so many subjects in the world right now, people, that gets misconstrued and the polarizing nature of the topics allows people to manipulate a lot of what's out there. One of the reasons I like the podcast format is because it is long form. So when having a guest like Nate Miller in the last story, he and I get to have a real conversation over an hour and a half that doesn't allow for sound bites or context to be misinterpreted. It allows for the subject to be relatively flushed out so nothing can be misinterpreted. You as me as a host and him as a guest, you have an opportunity to clarify and make sure you're getting exactly what you want to say across. And in the conversation with Nate, the subject of some of these branding companies came up that grocery stores like Whole Foods are using that essentially meant nothing. And they're labeling them as if this is some kind of brand mark to tell you that the conditions these flowers come from are somehow better than products without it. And I didn't know that before the conversation with Nate. So as he and I were talking, that came out. And again, balancing my worlds right now between gardening and flower farming And the issues that are associated at times can be challenging. And a real big desire on my part is to get people more passionate about plants as a whole. And I do think cut flowers are a great way to do that. It's sort of the gateway. You may not be somebody that gardens, but you're probably someone that can appreciate a beautiful flower. And if I can get you, to maybe think about growing a flower or just the fact that flowers are grown, either way I'll be happy with, I think that's an accomplishment and we're moving in the right direction. But some of these subjects are slightly uncomfortable. The international flower issue was slightly uncomfortable for many people, I feel. The feedback was overall very, very positive. And that's really all I'm doing. As I've said before, this isn't really an effort on my part to monetize 
the podcast off of having guests on who I think will then bring some kind of advertising potentially to the future. Like, I'll be real, I think so many of the other podcasts that are out there in this topic are both gardening related and the flower world related. And we've just got to be really careful, again, that in a 2019 world, we're heading towards transparency, but sometimes it can be a little murky on that road. I do believe strongly that we're going to get there. And many of this fake it till you make it false narrative that's being painted by so many people will eventually collapse on them. I'm very confident in that. But we're still not quite there yet. So as we're at these growing pain kind of phases, I want to make sure that the content that I'm producing stays authentic and transparent no matter how at times uncomfortable it might be. Before I do each podcast, I just write down single words. Then maybe I'll connect them, sort of like the spider webbing method of word association. And the first three words that I wrote down this week were flowers, florist, and farm. And despite the awesome alliteration, there's some kind of synergy between all of those three. Coming up, I'm going to have a couple of guests that I'm hopeful we can bring a little bit of clarity to this and try to figure out what is the relationship here between florist floral designers versus flower growers, some domestically at scale, large greenhouse production typically, and local typically field-grown production, and then the international flowers and how all that should play together in a world where we're all doing the best work we can And we're all providing something that's interesting at the end of the day, right, people? I mean, when you're buying flowers, really, we want something interesting. And a lot of the yellow Gerber daisies you find at the grocery store, just not all that interesting. Do you know how many catalogs of rare plants I've seen in my life? At this point, it's at least seven. And I'm aware of all these really magical, interesting flowers that somewhere in my mind, I always go, I wonder how that would work as a cut flower. It's so unique. It's definitely not out there on the market. And as a gardener, I would completely grow it just because it's that awesome. But then I'm a little measured because I go, well, if I'm doing this for profit, that's probably not a flower I'm going to add just because I am unsure. And maybe I'll add one and we'll experiment. That's not much of a business model, is it? So somewhere between flowers, florists, and farms, There needs to be a better connection and synergy of what's going on there. And I am concerned, as I mentioned on the podcast with Nate, and I wanted to take a couple of minutes to explore this topic between you and I, that social media is phenomenal. It is literally my favorite tool. But My concern here is that people can craft their own narrative. You can go on Instagram, and if you just have a few of the right photos, you can make it look like you're the world's largest flower farm, literally. 
you could say I farm 5,000 acres and do 20 million dahlia tubers. And as long as there's enough photos there that support that on your Instagram, a couple of buckets of dahlias here and there, no one can authenticate that. And no one can technically contest that. And that's a little dangerous. And then on the flip side of it, there's the floral design world where someone can paint a picture of them being super successful with glamorous high-end client weddings. And again, no way to really authenticate that. I draw a lot of parallels to this, and I wanted to make this point. This isn't an issue that is unique to flowers or the flower world. There's people that are going out and for one day leasing a renting a super high-end sports car, Lamborghini, a Ferrari, Maserati, something like that, and pretending like that's their car when it's not. There's people out there that are pretending that they have this huge, unbelievable mansion. Truth is, it was an open house or a realty event. They showed up and they took some photos. That's going on. So the flower world is prone to that too. It's one of the reasons why in starting my weekly Instagram lives that I do for aspirational flower farmers, I keep making the point over and over again to open up your farm to people so they can literally see it. They can see the realities of what's going on, breaking through that Instagram lens and showing people really what is exceptional about your farm. And even sometimes maybe what's not exceptional. Part of your narrative is going to be failures when you're a gardener or a farmer. There's going to be plants that thrive. There's going to be plants that die. And part of that storytelling involves both, but doing it in a very open, authentic way. So when I look at the florist, flower, farming combo, that's a big part of it to me. That we do need to make sure that we're allowing the narrative to play openly and transparently between the three so that way we can work together. I'm a little surprised sometimes at many of the people that I I meet who are pretty knee-deep in growing plants. That could be flowers, that could be agriculture, that could be anything where they've invested a pretty sizable amount of money. And they don't have a lot of the fundamental knowledge that I think is not just important, but crucial for this to work for you, people. My wife is a broadcast captioner. You've ever seen a court reporter in a movie? They use a stenograph as the machine, not a keyboard. Don't think keyboard, think stenograph. Little small machine with keys on it that you tap slash write is what they call it in her industry. And this machine has no letters on the keys. It has no instruction manual that says this key means this. It's based upon a syllable type language theory that was created for this shorthand 
that then is applied to keys that then when you stroke them, that certain combinations that you create make words. And that's the little text that comes up on the bottom of the television for those who are hearing impaired or what a court reporter uses to document what goes on in courtrooms or any government or judicial type settings. Well, I want you to picture a situation where you've never used that machine a day in your life, right? You're like, it's a keyboard, right? And I'm like, no, it's not a keyboard at all. It's completely not that. But you have an opportunity to start using this stenograph. And you just go around, you're banging it out. And you press a million strokes. And you tap these keys those million times. And you get one or two words right that someone says. And you go, hooray, look at me. I'm a stenographer. I'm a captioner. I'm a court reporter. Well, not really. The whole job is based upon understanding theory and concepts of how to put that machine to work for you. The skill of that job is knowing how to use that machine, knowing the theory, the style in which you put the machine to use for you. Getting lucky a couple of times is no success with that. It's about that theory and fundamentals. And I've been really surprised at how that's lacking in so many people that are doing growing things as a profession. You couldn't do the same thing. You could not never have learned piano keys and then suddenly be like, I'm a trained pianist. That wouldn't work either. This is really similar. Being a gardener is about learning really basic fundamental things. Getting that swagger, getting that confidence, and then going out there and growing magical things. But going out and not knowing anything and starting it is probably going to result in some failure. And one of the things that I've seen out there in a lot of the content is here's how you germinate a seed. Here's how you prune this. But never why. Never why are we pruning this this way? Never why are we germinating this way? Are there other seeds that you germinate this way? Do all seeds germinate this way? Not a lot of that talk. So now we become a slave to instructions. We become a slave to finding those directions that we have to follow because we don't know why we're doing it. We're just being told, this is what you do. So when your cardiologist opens up your chest to do a quadruple bypass surgery on you, they have to reference a how-to video, find instructions? No. We want this person to be confident, know what they're doing by the time we get to that point. Now granted, that's an extreme example, but one of the principle remains the same. One of the beauties in becoming a really knowledgeable, confident gardener is then the entire plant world, which really is nearly infinite, opens up for you. And if you understand why some seeds need to be stratified, once you understand that, you go, oh, this is a seed that's going to need stratification. You can get it to germinate. You can do the kind of things that 
there's a plant species you've never heard of before. You go, oh, I know what to do here. Then you just get into the action of it. Then you get into the rhythm. Now when your Mechanopsis seeds germinate, it is magic. Which leads me to this thought. Originally, there were plant societies. And the thinking there was plant societies would be the place that once gardeners got going a little bit, if you got really into roses, the rose societies would be there for you. And then you could go to like 2.0. You could get very interested in that particular subject. The only problem on the way became we got a little exclusive in those groups. In fact, I was at a Rose Society event one time, and one of the people there, who, a little bit of an older gentleman, thought it was hysterical. Every time he would go, any other plant would come up, and he would go, well, it's not a rose, no matter what it was. Oh, you grow some dahlias? Ah, they're not roses. Oh, you grow this? Oh, you grow money trees? Ah, it's not a rose. And he just kept doing it. And that's a little bit of the problem in those groups. That they became very exclusive, not inclusive, to plants in general. And many of the people became collectors of that plant. Think plant hoarder more than gardener sometimes. Not to say all. There's great people in a lot of those groups. But it could lean that direction to a point that for many people that are new to gardening or to particular plants, it wasn't the best culture for them to be nurtured and to curate this new interest that they have in their life. So we run into that a lot in the horticulture gardening world. It's also one of the reasons why lately I've been thinking about how I can use what I'm doing here at Natchez Glen again as a hub for gardening. And there's many people who have asked me, and this is sort of counterintuitive in their minds, well, Steve, why would you want people to learn how to grow things? You're trying to sell them cut flowers. It's a real short-sighted view of it. The more people that are passionate about flowers, the more people that are passionate about gardening, the more people will like Natchez Glen the more people that will like me and the content I'm giving you. It's pretty simple. Thinking that if you grow two dahlia tubers this year, somehow that's going to cut into my ability to sell cut flowers to you is a real nearly 19th century thought. For me, that's not how I measure things here. I would be thrilled, and I recently did this with our David Austin local pickup that we did, I had an opportunity because I changed my spacing rules a little bit to add more David Austin roses for cut flowers and thought, well, if I'm putting it in order, let me see if there's any people locally that'd like to add some and I can provide them a discount because I'm getting them obviously wholesale and did that. It feels really good for me. I'm super excited whenever anyone adds really cool plants to their garden. I have some things this year that I'm really waiting on that I'm excited to see them bloom because I haven't seen them before. 
if you have a plant that I haven't seen before, I'd be really excited for you to share it. In fact, make sure you do that. Whenever you're growing anything that you think is really interesting or cool, DM it to me. Tag me in something. I love seeing interesting, cool plants in people's gardens. That's not a currency I'm losing. I'm winning. I'm winning because I'm spreading the passion for plants and for gardening. And sometimes that's not what these societies and associations are about. The associations many times in more like the trade industries, you know, people that do this professionally have a lot of that same problem. They're not looking at this as it would be great if the city they live in suddenly became a hotbed for really interesting, cool cut flowers in people's gardens. They're just trying to find ways to profit off of their flowers, which is awesome and that's cool, but you should really be doing both. In 20 years from now, it would thrill me if Nashville, Franklin, Middle Tennessee area where I live became associated with beautiful cut flower gardens suddenly and everybody goes, how did everybody end up with all these garden roses everywhere? Oh, it was that guy at Natchez Glen, remember? Remember he went to go live in the mountains of Spain eventually to retire? But he was always getting people to buy things all the time and, they, and people did and they had success and he really helped them and he did workshops for people at his place to teach people how to grow them and he was on Instagram constantly talking and had this podcast. Wait a second, I'm listening to the podcast now. Whoa, time loop. That would thrill me. I don't look at this as a mutually exclusive thing. I want to hoard all the flowers so you can't grow them, so you have to buy them from me. Kind of world doesn't exist anymore. It does occasionally with really weird things like pharmaceuticals, social commentary. But for the most part, in a global world where we can communicate and see so many things from anywhere. It doesn't exist the same way. This isn't that same kind of hoarder economy that used to exist, where the supply and the demand is hoarded, and that's how you profit. It's not how this goes. There is more transparency. People do know where product comes from. So making it accessible to them, if you're really positioning yourself is a smart thing to do. And for me, gardening is that. Gardening is that ability to get everybody passionate about plants and flowers. Speaking of plants and flowers and global economies and all such topics, on this Aftermath edition, Natchez Glen House Stories 20. I'm going to have a couple of guests in the upcoming weeks that are going to catch you a little off guard. It's going to be people that you're going to be like, so why are we talking to these people? What does this have to do with gardening? What does this have to do with flowers, flower farming, grow flowers, sell flowers type situation? Oh, they will. And oh, they do. If you can't tell already, I like to try to give you some I like to try to give you some thematics, tying subjects together that maybe you don't see at first glance. And one of them is going to be the challenge of small-scale farming of any kind. Not just flower farming, not just agricultural. 
with any farm. Raising livestock. Trying to create a food-related product from that. That category was ahead of cut flowers. The cut flower thing really hasn't kicked out the way it has. The cut flower category has really grown only in the last five years locally. And so much of that is because of Instagram. But the edibles have been doing it for a while now. Early 2000s. Slow food. Buy local. Eat local. Grow local. Those buzzwords have now been out there for almost 20 years in that kind of way. And we're seeing a little of the other side of it. The hardship of some of those people that started those farms with incredible intentions, but sometimes not with the full view of the category. So my guests that I'm going to have on the podcast, we're going to get into those topics. We're going to get into food and edibles and probably even restaurants and how all of that ties back to, again, people just having more knowledge. Both as the person running the business, but also the consumer. For you running the business, if you have a real understanding of what's going on in your category, you can run a better business. As you as a consumer, having more knowledge gives you the opportunity to put your dollars where you think they best belong. Both parties win from having Where we struggle is when we have business owners that don't want to see the full view of it because the full view can be scary many times or want to hide a bit of the reality of what they're doing because they think it's going to turn off customers. And then when we have customers, even if they have economic choice, choose not to take the time to make the choice. That's where we have breakdowns in local economies. And right now, there is a bit of a trend of a breaking down in local economies. People don't want to talk about it because it goes against, again, some of the narrative that's painted out there. But all this money that Jeff Bezos has made, where do you think that money came from? That money is going there. It's not going to a local farmer's market. It's not going to some local artisan making products. It's going to Amazon. Also, as a bit of a newsflash for people, Walmart is trending upward in sales too. So don't forget about the good old Walmart. So now we have Amazon and Walmart continuing to grow. Consumers are spending money. That's not changing. In fact, if anything, it's increasing. But that means the more money that goes to those places, the less goes into a local economy, a local farm. So when we have this conversation, again, this narrative, we've got to be really on it. We really do. We've got to be really, really on it. And I promised everybody we're going to get back to some of the more lighthearted gardening talk. You know, I'm always throwing in references here or there. But I do feel we almost need to 
clear the table on a lot of these subjects for people. And that's why I want to do a lot of this talk. Because like before we can move forward, we've got to do some housekeeping. You know what I mean? It's like buying new furniture for your house and your house is filthy, right? Just doesn't make no sense, right? That doesn't make any. Why are you going out and buying restoration hardware, $40,000 cabinets when your floors aren't clean in two years? Makes no sense. That's what I feel like we could make the mistake in doing. We need to clean up these topics. We need to clarify. We need to put things in a more orderly way for us. So that way, when we go, okay, we get it. We've established it. Now, let's go buy the new restoration hardware pieces. Which, by the way, I mean, honestly, restoration hardware. Some of the prices, I mean, it's just, it's a little, it's a little much, right? And then you go again, same kind of conversation. Where are these products made? Well, oh, they're made in places overseas as well. Well, where's this super cheap product made? Also overseas. Is there that big of a difference? Is this literally worth $9,000 more than this one? They're made in like literally the same continent, maybe five miles apart from each other. You know what I mean? Thoughts. That's where I think we're at right now. We've got to get the house back in order. And then we can start talking about specific things. Before we start learning how to grow peonies, we need to start learning about soil and plants and how plants work and the botany elements and the horticulture things. Because once you start there, then we can grow peonies of any type. to close out this story by sharing a couple of things that I probably haven't shared enough of to set the stage work. First off, hi, my name is Steve. I own Natchez Glen. I started the gardens here in 2009. I had an opportunity to run operations and sales for a large nursery out in Oregon and did that for almost six years and traveled around the country a stupid amount of days, risking my family, health, and all such things by doing so. After I was done with that, we took some time off. We moved up to Connecticut for two years. We bought an old Victorian house there. We were going to restore it. We were going to start a flower farm. Turns out Connecticut is cold, sometimes both literally and figuratively. And the house and the neighborhood it was in had too much baggage from previous owners and neighbors and things like that for my taste. So it just wasn't a great fit. But we kept our house here in Franklin, Tennessee the whole time and had the gardens here the whole time. So for me, coming back and starting a flower farm here wasn't a big leap. I was growing hundreds of dahlias a year just for fun. I was growing all kinds of plants just for fun. No thought of ever cutting a dahlia stem and selling it. One time, in fact, we had some new neighbors move in and my wife brought them, I don't know, like two bundles full of hundreds of dahlias. It was a little comical. I think the people were like, uh, thanks. It was almost too much, right? It's one of those gifts where people think you're a tryhard. For me, everything I'm doing with Natchez Glen is centered in fun and choice. I don't have to do any of these things. I don't have to do the podcast. Why am I talking into this microphone? I like to do it, and I'm trying to provide value to people. I like the idea of doing cut flowers here, dahlias and roses, because it's fun. And if we can sell them, and make profit from that, I'm all about about it. Everything I do here is for that. 
It's, does this make sense? It's something I want to do. Do I think there's like a future to doing this? Do I think this is something that will provide value to people? And if the answer is yes, I typically do it. And that's takes some time for people to process a little bit because I think so much of what we're used to is the profiteering of businesses. And I've talked about this in the past, sometimes in a, a mere predatory way. Now, granted, I have a lot of experience with sales and presenting. So a lot of this comes across pretty effortless for me, almost to the point where you're probably like, this is so smooth. This has got to be a rehearsed sales pitch. No, it's not. It's just sort of how I talk. Ask my wife. Trust me. This goes on 24-7 in our house. I'm talking. Matter of fact, I'm just thinking of strapping this microphone that I'm talking into in front of me with like some kind of weird headgear piece and just talking constantly and recording it just because this is how much I talk and this is how I talk. When you come here and you meet me, it's the same. Just minus the microphone and the earbuds, right? I really think there's a, a moment with people that that takes a second. They go, oh, wait a second. Uh, wait, he's not actually selling me something here. He's just really into plants, really into gardening. I'm doing this podcast, and I already mentioned Mechanopsis once, on a day that my Mechanopsis Lingholm seedlings germinated. My entire day is complete. I could go to sleep again right after I saw those Mechanopsis, Mechanopsis seedlings germinate. Do you know how excited I am to potentially have blue Himalayan poppies growing at some point? Really, I may retire. Like if I get to that point, you may just never hear from me again. I'll go live on my mountaintop somewhere in the Andalusian mountains of Spain. That's my whole thing here. I love plants and gardening and the process of it and seeing things happen and that evolution and that story of where plants are from and what do Mechanopsis poppies like and how do you get them to grow and how do you get them to germinate? All of it fascinates me. So what I do here, that's the barometer for everything. And a lot of the people out there in this flower farming, gardening world. It bums me out a little bit because when I, I meet them or I hear them, I don't think it's quite the same. I think this is the of the moment, how I can make some money job. I don't think it's a passion. My friend Doug and I, who I did the very first podcast with, you have not heard two people get so excited ever to talk about how the small three-gallon Macaulay Yatsabusas they bought 11 years ago, Japanese maples, have grown into be these incredible specimen trees now when we talk about it. That same passion, I don't always hear from a lot of the people doing this for profit at the moment. I get it a lot more from everyone that follows me on social media who's just a gardener. How excited people get when they see that growth of their peonies coming out of the ground. How excited they are when they have that one bud, even if it's a somewhat sad Charlie Brown Christmas tree bud on their rose plant. I know people are going to be excited about it. That's what I'm trying to cultivate. That's what I'm trying to share here. Do I also think that there's a successful economic business to be developed here at Natchez Glen with cut flowers and what I do personally? Yeah, I do. 
But that doesn't ever deter me. In fact, I, I would make the argument if I ever spoke to Gary Vaynerchuk, shout out to Gary V, future podcast guest, by the way. I think he would tell me that too many times I'm give, give, give and not enough sell. And that's just sort of how I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to do this. I don't feel the pressure to sell. The economics pressure isn't there for me. And that's great. So I can do things that just provide a lot of value and just keep giving a little bit more than selling. And hopefully that comes across. I think most of the people that have that moment of awkwardness with me as a person and what I do here at Nacho's Glen, because I've heard it a couple of times, is more of this, well, why do you pick on these people? And why don't you like these workshops? And why don't you like this person in this Gadget Valley? This isn't a personal conversation to me. This is a how you choose to run your business conversation. And are you just sharing your passion? Or are you profiteering off of an opportunity at a particular moment in time? And for me, I want to make sure that everyone understands that's where I'm coming. I'm coming from a place where I just want you to love plants. I want you to one time germinate Mechanopsis and be like, oh my God, the Mechanopsis germinated. And even if they die three weeks later, you're still okay with it. You'd be like, hey, listen, I got the germinate. That's step one. Got to figure out step two. Let's get to work. That's what I want you to have. Because that way, you understand both sides of it. Both sides now turning metro. The success of the germination with the failure of the seedling dampened off two weeks later. And both fascinate you. Where you try to figure it out. And that becomes a lifelong passion. The only dreams I've had have been in the daytime Anything to get away from the straight line the straight line that I walk With all the medicated masses Creative minds outlined in chalk I've always bordered on the edge of something my mind goes where very few dare to tread Is it wrong that I'm dying, trying hard to live So bend and break my back For a world that just won't give a little Whatever happened to being who you are 
wanna be It's also irrational with unrealistic views They light the hoop on fire and expect you to jump through Safe inside, no. 